With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. We are looking at now week five review. The Rams had it all going for them until they hit the Buffalo train at home. And the Buffalo train, despite an East Coast team coming all the way out west, they out-fisherballed the fisherball king. Uh, Rex Ryan and his crew put together a savvy game plan and basically left the uh, the Rams, well, on their backs looking up. And at the risk of heaping too much praise on Rex Ryan, I want to ask you, uh, Joe, was this... Uh, was this just one of those things in football? You know how they talk about in soccer. Two minutes. You know how they talk about in soccer about it just being football, and, and sometimes matches like that just happen. Um, is this just a situation where games like that just happen, like guys just weren't hitting their blocks for whatever reason that day? Talk me through your perspective. How do you see it? Well, it could be. I think the number one thing you have to uh, at least acknowledge is that the Rams were going into that game with some significant injuries and came out with a couple more. So you had uh, both starting defensive ends, William Hayes and Robert Quinn, uh, out injured. You had starting defensive tackle Michael Brockers injured. So three of your four starting defensive linemen around Aaron Donald were out. You had uh, Cody Davis, who's been picking up about a quarter of the snaps at, as the third safety uh, and kind of the the, the – extra layer between the dual safety look that the Rams employ where either safety spot is kind of uh, interchangeable between Reese Alexander and TJ McDonald. And then that second layer that they have with um, Alec Ogletree as the quote unquote middle linebacker uh, alongside uh, Mark Barron, who drops down from that layer. Uh, and so because they had Cody Davis out, they had to uh, rework some of that personnel as well. And kind of the formation structure, because they also had out Benny Cunningham, the backup running back. So you had all these personnel changes you had to deal with. Then you lose Cody Wickman, uh, starting guard early in the game, gets replaced by Jamon Brown, who Wickman had beaten out in, in that job, which I think is one of the more undercovered uh, storylines of the season to this point. Uh, and then obviously the big one, you lose Trumaine Johnson at the end of the game for what looks like a uh, decent amount of time for a pretty uh, – uh, let's say significant ankle injury. So for the first time all season, I think you've got the first real game where injuries 
didn't only play a significant part in the outcome. They played a significant part, maybe moving forward. And, uh, you know, for, for what we had talked about getting to three and one for a lot of things that had to fall right for them to get there. This is the first time where something significantly didn't on that front. So, and so I think that's something you got to acknowledge in terms of go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask you just to sum it up. You feel like it's sort of just a confluence of all these things hitting together at once. I mean, the scoreline isn't necessarily indicative of the effort given. It sure. it's just when you are short that many people at skill positions, you can end up with score lines like these just simply because the other team was smart enough to know where your weaknesses were at and went directly at them. I think that's part of it. I think the, and the other thing I was going to say is if you go back to this game at halftime, the game wasn't out of reach, right? This was a, it was a fisher ball first half and you, you were within one possession and things felt like it was going to come down to late in the game, kind of the way it did against Arizona and Seattle, the game got away from them. And, and I think part of the problem with the Rams, and this has been a problem for years, they don't have much of a plan B. They don't have a way to, uh, you know, retool the offense on the fly. Once a game plan falls apart, uh, they don't have the personnel and they don't have the structure. Uh, and I think you saw that against Buffalo. There's nothing they can really do except continue to feed the run and then try to work away from that once you've drawn guys into the box. And of course, you know, Case Keenum doesn't have the greatest arm and Complemented wires aren't the most talented, and so when when you're getting Todd Gurley bottled up over and over and over again, and you can't really take them away from it, there's not a lot this offense can do. And so when you start falling behind, that's not a situation the Rams are going to succeed in uh, very often because they just don't have the tools to do it. What they've got to do is just avoid those situations altogether. So maybe if anything, when you look at the pick six, uh, I think that hurts. But also, remember, Josh, one there, of the things we talked about. I, I, I wanted to come back to that, so put a pin in the pick six. Sure. Yeah, well, let's, let me just do this, and then we'll go straight into the pick six. The other thing that we talked about to get to three and one was the fact that the offense had taken advantage of the timeliness of their opportunities. That was the thing about the Fisher Bowl aspect that the Buffalo Bills did better. If you look at the numbers for Tyrod Taylor, if you look at the overall game performance, it's not that great. Could you, could, but could you just take the entire thing that I was going to say next and just and just <laughs> steal it? Because uh, you, you, it's like it's like we're one mind. I was literally going to say, looking at Tyrod Taylor's numbers, there's absolutely nothing about them that jumps off the page. About fifty percent, twelve of twenty-three. But you know what he did have? Two touchdowns. touchdowns. Now Case Keenum was sitting at about sixty-six percent passing, but you know what he had? Two interceptions. Two interceptions. There you go. That's. The, I mean, that's the difference sometimes is the timeliness. And, and especially if you look at the totality of the game for Taylor, it's not just that he had the two inter, the two touchdowns with a limited yardage. The, the Rams took their wide receivers out of the game. I think they had – I think Buffalo Bills wide receivers had five catches for 43 yards. So over the course of a 60-minute game, the Rams did a great job of taking them out of it. It was just the timeliness of the two touchdowns. Uh, along with the pick six that, you know, 21 points plus a couple field goals is generally going to be enough to beat the Los Angeles Rams on any day. Yeah, they had a grand total of 124 receiving yards and 53 rushing yards and beat the Rams. 
So here, here's one thing I, I buy throw at Yeah, well, he, here's a here's an idea, and this is, the buy eleven is kind of the key point um, that that I wished I had tried to put this together about the two thousand. They put up thirty points. Let's. That's my yeah, favorite. Well, is when a team and, is when a team hangs thirty with numbers like and that. That's the, that's the thing is they put up thirty without the. Uh, comprehensive kind of yardage-backed offensive game that would suggest that would justify 30 points, right? Uh, obviously, the pick six throws things a little bit out of, out of whack, but that one of the things I wish I had written about the 2015 St. Louis Rams, despite the fact that they had the worst offense in the NFL, it wasn't necessarily the offense that let them down. It was the defense. We, we know that Fisher Bowl is not going to bring you, uh, whatever word you want to say, competent, uh, dynamic, uh, high-scoring offense. You you can't expect much out of the offense. You've got, think about the games that the Rams won. Two out of the three, Arizona and Seattle. Those games were won because the defense limited the the opponent to less than 14 points. If they had done that again yesterday, they could have won that game. Uh, you know, maybe pick six aside. My point being. We know that the offense is gonna, not going to keep up their fair share. You can't allow two red zone touchdowns with the 2016 Los Angeles Rams defense. Anytime that happens, the, the chance of the Rams winning that game is going to be next to nothing. Yeah, and it, 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 it certainly bore out exactly like that. Now, as you look at those accumulation of injuries, because I'm going to deviate a little bit from our offense, defense, special teams – uh, pattern that the, the tried and true that we always use because we have so many listener questions. I'm going to deviate slightly and and just talk about a couple of key things here. Um, you look at these injuries and 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 how they happen uh, and what they're going to mean for the team moving forward. Without trying to kill the positive start that St. Louis has had to their year. How depressing is the loss of Trumaine Johnson moving forward? Well, it, I think it depends on how much of a loss. Um, and I think, I think you meant Los Angeles, but we are one family. We're one big St. Louis, Los Angeles. I don't know St. why family. I said St. Louis, man. <laughs> I, well, you know, the, dude, when, when, when my whole day has been spent looking at wedding cake toppers, and, 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 and you're lucky I didn't say the Baltimore Cleveland steamer or something. <laughs> Congratulations, public podcast. Congratulations to Big Web, everybody. Your boy Fight on Twist about to become Mr. Fight on Twist, if that makes sense. Actually, um, actually I am. Uh, I will be taking her last name. We're good for you, man. Um, here's, what, here's what I'd say about the Trumaine Johnson uh, injury. Number one, we got to see you know how significant it is. One week is very, very different than five weeks. Uh, number two, luckily, the... Rams have EJ Gaines uh, back fully healthy, and you know I think that's a great storyline. Uh, if you're looking for positives uh, to take from the last uh, week, is that EJ Gaines has come back after missing an entire year of football and doesn't look any the worse uh, for the time off. So with him on the outside and Lamarcus Joyner in the slot, whether it's you know Troy Hill, obviously Cody Sensabaugh's gone, and they just signed Dwayne Gratz, the former Jacksonville Jaguars third round pick. Uh, you, you got some. Can we can we just uh, say that we called that one like 
basically what two weeks ago. True. Two, 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 yeah, that we said Cody Sensabaugh was basically out the door. Well, once he had lost his spot, there was I mean, there's no there's no reason to keep yeah. him around. All you're doing is, especially in a week like this, where you've got to stack up on positions because of a lack of depth due to injury. There's no reason to have Cody Sensabaugh. I mean. Uh, if you if you want him as your fifth cornerback, but you've you've already proven to the point that you can't rely on him, so what are you going to bring him back into the game for? That just doesn't make any sense. You might as well go with Dwayne Gratz and see if you get a Troy Hill type surprise as somebody that can come up with some competent play in a pinch. Now Troy Hill's not your you know go to guy over the course of a season, but he's not designed to be. He's a guy that's supposed to come in and spell uh, the defense while Tremaine Johnson is out, and if it's only one week, that shouldn't be too much to ask. Uh, I think the bigger question moving forward is. If the a if this is a short term injury and b what other injuries you stack up on defense because you're quickly accumulating uh, uh, enough of them that maybe you're approaching that threshold of whatever quote unquote too much is. Certainly, no doubt about that. Now I want to get to some of the aspects of the game, and I want to ask you because you're normally I think I well. People accuse you of being Mr. Negative. I think you're Mr. Realistic. Um, What did you take as positives from this game? Because there were a couple of things that worked. Um, You know, Case Keenum wasn't totally inefficient. Uh, Well, granted, it did take Todd Gurley, uh, you know, about 23 carries, but he seems like he's starting to get going. Uh, Kenny Britt is still proving uh, that uh, he is the ageless wonder. And, I mean, the defense is just the Rams' defense. It will do what it does, and I fully expect them to bounce back from this game with a much better showing moving forward. Remember the last time they suffered a loss, the the Rams came out and absolutely just decimated. Uh, So what do you think? I mean, man, they really took stuff out on, on Carson Palmer. Uh, yeah. What do you what do you think were some of the positives from this game? Well, I think you got to look at the first half. I think there were obvious positives to take from that. The biggest negative was Lashawn McCoy. He had, he had it way too easy. Now Lashawn McCoy is an incredibly talented running back. You're not going to face a Lashawn McCoy every week. Uh, so if there's a positive, it's that run defense is probably going to get easier uh, over the course of the next couple weeks. Um, I think you you've got to be careful about overreacting. And, and, you know, assuming like a Todd Gurley type defensive role where you throw everything into the box, the Rams can't do that. The shell's too important. And the lockdown of the wide receivers showed you why you, you can still succeed in doing that. You just got to do a better job of bottling up the middle. And hopefully if Michael Brockers can come back, I think that's going to help more than anything else. Uh, so the positive being, if you can help shut down the, the running game, you did a fine job against the wide receivers on the edge. You got to improve stuff in the red zone uh, on the offensive side. Uh, you still got an opportunity to improve. I mean, we talked about Case Keenum and the interceptions. I think that's relatively rare. And if he can clean up uh, part of that game and learn from that pick six and make sure he doesn't throw that pass again, 
you know, there's reason to think that he can maintain the same level of competency with, uh, you know, Kenny Britt, who he's clearly shown some chemistry with and is able to pick up first downs with some regularity. I think, you know, you, you've got to settle into a field position game that the Rams haven't had for a little bit. You could argue the Cardinals was one, but that was a little bit flukier than a field position game, more of a defensive battle than a field position one. Uh, that's the kind of thing where Kenny Britton, Case Keenum's, uh, you know, chemistry can can really take over a game and really make a difference because, and this is the last thing, special teams continues to be perfect. Greg Zerline hasn't missed a kick. Johnny Hecker's on, you know, the Pro Bowl trajectory. Coverage continues to be a plus, and returns continue to not be a horrible issue. So you, you've got to find a way to take advantage of that, especially if special teams is going to remain in form. you got to give them a chance to win some games because that's kind of the blueprint for Fisherball that they haven't been able to take advantage of yet. Yeah, it certainly does seem like almost like you're leaving, well, points on the field. Uh, by doing that, um, so to speak. I mean, not that it's it's not quite a down and distance situation where you're saying that there are tangible points to be left on the field. But if you certainly don't step up your play and Todd Gurley doesn't gain some momentum moving forward, uh, maybe using this game as a catalyst uh, to get going, then... Yeah, I, I mean, the special teams are playing their ass off for virtually nothing. Now, upcoming, uh, the the good old Detroit Lions are going to uh, they're going to they're going to test their metal against the Rams. Where do you come down the Detroit Lions? Where do you come down on Detroit? Where do you come down on the Lions? <laughs> I think that's another tough game, too, only because they've had to deal with some injuries. And so, you know, losing Amir Abdullah, when you have to retool your entire rushing attack uh, from God, the jump. I mean, you just, they just signed uh, Justin Forsett. Yeah, I mean, they just they just signed Justin Forsett. So, you know that there's retooling their running game. Well, as of today, he does. <laughs> as, as of right now, he's a Detroit Lion. And so, they, they're retooling their own running game on the fly, I think that's indicative of what they're having to deal with. Now, I think the difficult part for Detroit is because they're only two and three and got that huge one point win over the Eagles at home last week. They've got some momentum that I think is unfortunate that the Rams are going to have to run into. I mean, that, you know, they lost uh, against the Titans in week one by a point. They lost, I think by two points in week four, they're really close. They were really close to being a four and one team. This is not a bad team. It's just that, they, you know, between the injuries and between some inconsistencies, you know, when you've got a post-Calvin Johnson uh, landscape, it's hard, it's hard to remake that uh, in, its, uh, in its wake, in its immediate aftermath. But I think Matthew Stafford's, you know, a talented enough guy that can carry the ship, at least for a little bit while they try to figure it out. I think the problem for the Rams is with Detroit at home, this is the kind of game where they can continue to build on that. It's a, it's a hell of a challenge. I know a lot of people look, you know, Detroit and the recent record and uh, some of the personnel holes and say, well, this is a, a winnable game. And that's true. But th this is definitely a Lions uh, team that has a lot going on that could certainly test the Rams. And, uh, you know, you look at the weight of their offense versus the weight of the Rams defense. It's going to be a hell of a matchup. Yeah, third place or not in that NFC North. Uh, they have the ability to bring it, uh, and almost every single one of their games are ridiculously high-scoring affairs of some. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, 
the Lions defense is susceptible. And so th- th- this is maybe the biggest challenge for the Rams offense in 2016, where they, they should probably be expected to do something. Now, Josh, I, I don't know how you feel about this. It worries me, the idea of expecting the Rams offense to do much, but th- that probably should be the charge for week six. Yeah, I mean, this you're going to have to. At some point, you're going to have to be able to put points up on the board because Detroit can win battles in the trenches. Um, they have the means to do so. Uh, they may not be the team that they once were, but I'm, I don't even know what that means. I'm going to stop myself. Does that even mean they may not be the team that they once were? I mean, well, they, they used to be a bit more potent on the defensive side of the ball sure. in the trenches. I think that's more what I meant. Uh, but I still think that this is a very, very capable team. What they lack is the sort of the same thing that the, the Rams lack, and that's any sort of consistency. From one week to the next, you don't know what you're going to get. And the other thing, I mean, to your point that, you know, this is not the same team that they used to be. It's an unfamiliar Lions team. If you take out Matthew Stafford, this isn't a Lions team where you've got a lot of familiar components. No, not at all. On either side of the ball. I was looking at, you know, just going over their season leaders. And, of course, you know, the first name jumps out at you, passing leader, obviously, Matt Stafford. Okay, but then you get into Wow, okay, Theo Riddick's their leading rusher. Uh, then you, you, you got, uh, is it Jones is, is the leading receiver. Uh, I mean, this is not a team. I, they very much are a team who look like they are trying to rebuild after losing a once-in-a-generation player, while at the same time, you know, trying not to act like they are rebuilding. You know, Marvin Jones is their number one receiver. I mean, who? He played at Cal, and even (laughs) I don't know who Marvin Jones is. Oh, yes, you do. You lie. You lying, man. (laughs) Here's what I'd say. uh, He's from Fontana. Like, that's all I'd add. Here's what I I throw beyond just the offensive rebuild is that the the defense, you know, obviously in a post-Domican Sioux uh, wake, hasn't really filled things in. Here's what I'd say is that it's a weird era for the NFC North, right? Chicago completely fell off really starting last year. And we know the Packers are the kind of team that you can slot as a Super Bowl you know, candidate going into the year. I think what's happened is where Detroit maybe had an opportunity to fill a gap, that gap's gotten filled with a Minnesota Vikings team that clearly isn't doing it based on Adrian Peterson anymore. Uh, you, you can go back to last year where for the first time I saw some legitimate criticism coming from Vikings fans about the contributions of Adrian Peterson. Despite the fact that they made the playoffs and they were one Miss Blair Walsh kick from making it to the second round, they, they were playing a, a Fisher Bowl version of football that Adrian Peterson maybe wasn't uh, the reliable piece that he was in the past only because he had been a uh, an explosive uh, oh, and who know, did the Vikings reel. just sign 
uh, not too long ago. Who are you talking about, Young Sam Bradford? No, no, no. They signed Jake Long. Sure, they signed former Rams tackle Jake Long as well. Remember, Jake Long played with Sam Bradford, and mm-hmm. I mean that this is a, this is a clear this is a clear indication of which teams are doing Fisher Ball better. Is that Sam Bradford can walk into Minnesota without Adrian Peterson and still lead that team to five and zero and bring in Jake Long of all people as a midseason, the same way the Rams are bringing in Gratz as a midseason depth guy to shore up where they've got some injuries. And in a division where they're competing at the top and the Rams aren't doing the same, that's the kind of thing where you say – and for the Lions where you say, why weren't they able to take the next step up? And there's really no excuse. There's, there's no excuse. It's not necessarily on you know the quarterback or the frontline players because you're talking about a multi-year issue. At this point, Detroit should have been competing with Minnesota for the top of that division at this point in Matthew Stafford's career. The fact that they're not isn't Matthew Stafford's fault. It's a bigger issue in the franchise. The same thing for the Rams. Yeah. The Rams, you know, whether you go back, take take the end of San Francisco's time. At the top, remember, San Francisco made it to three consecutive NFC championships. Yeah. Uh, Seattle ascended to the top, and then Arizona continued right along behind them, and the two of them are still there. The Rams should have been in that mix and should be in that mix now. And I think the question is, if they're not, that's not necessarily on the players that, that's on the trajectory that's set up by the franchise, and I think that's maybe what sets up an interesting game between the Rams and the Lions. Are, are two teams not necessarily that are, are not the have-nots, but the should-bes. These are two franchises that should be competing at the top of their divisions. And what I think is so interesting about both divisions is that each division has a story that doesn't really make sense. In terms of how are these guys not better than they actually are? Um, yeah. I sort of look at Green Bay and I'm like, how have you not done more with the best quarterback in the NFL? Yeah. How, how is that possible? Yeah, I, th- I think part of it is just the flukiness. Uh, I mean, it, you got to remember, they've gotten to, in, into position. They just haven't taken the shot when, when it's come their way. And, you know, I think... I think at some point you start losing those opportunities and they become not almost like the bills, although the bills obviously uh, in that run in the nineties made it all the way to the Super Bowl without getting there. You remember the old jokes about the bills in the nineties? Yeah, of course. Of course. Dude, like, like what does bills stand for? Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. God, those, those never got old. And well, and that's the thing is that you know the Green Bay Packers won that Super Bowl back in whatever year it was. It was around 2011, uh, but they've made the playoffs every single year. Uh, I think the last eight years, they, they, so they've made the playoffs. They're not they're not not getting themselves in the conversation in the mix. They're just that was the only game that they've made it to the Super Bowl, and you know the fact that they haven't gotten the postseason run is kind of what you're saying is why haven't they gotten more out of it? It's timeliness, right? You, you got to come up with your best performances. And this isn't, you know, uh, baseball. This isn't a series of five. This isn't basketball or hockey. You get you get sixty minutes. And, and if you if, if you're the Packers and you can't get it done in the wild card of the division game, it doesn't matter that you went thirteen three or whatever you went in the regular season. You got to come up with it on a timely basis. And I think, I mean, that's a great that's a great way to think about the Rams moving forward. Is 
that three and one start was largely due to the timeliness of their big plays. And if you look at, if you look at some of the big plays from week five against the bills, the timeliness factor was definitely on their side. So it was now, um, I already asked you whether this was one step forward and, and, and two steps back for the Rams, or if this was simply a game that, that in a, in a game plan that went South on them. But what I want to know next is that why do the Rams struggle with the lower tier teams, but put together a clinic against uh, uh, much, well, in theory, teams that that are were projected to be better than they were. Sure. Uh, certainly, Arizona was projected to be better than they are. Seattle seems to have it right back on track. But how are the Rams able to get it done against those teams? But then when it comes time to beat somebody like the Bills, which should be a formality, they turn it into a 30-19 to 19 loss. Or well, is this welcome to Rams Rams football, Josh? Oh, that's that. Well, that's part of it, too. But I, I think part of it is the nature of physicality versus technique. Uh, the Rams are a team that prizes physicality, first and foremost, over technical uh, aptitude. And so when, when you play more technical teams, you can blunt that advantage with physicality. And we, you saw that against uh, Arizona, for example, a very technical team. Uh You've seen it in years past. Uh, go back to the Broncos game two years ago with Peyton Manning, where the Rams played maybe their best game. And obviously they had two shutouts right after that back-to-back uh, with the Raiders and um, with the Washington, I forget. But they had two shutouts back-to-back after that. That was the best uh, stretch of football they've played under Jeff Fisher. But that Broncos game, a very, very technically capable team, obviously, won the Super Bowl last year. The Rams were able to completely blunt them with physicality on both sides of the ball. And, and so when you play these quote-unquote good teams that lean on technicality more and the uh, you know uh, game planning and the finer elements of the game, that's all the, the Rams don't do finer elements. The Rams do blunt force trauma, right? They, they come out, they want to hit you in the mouth with everybody. They want the kicker to hit you in the mouth. They want the long snapper to hit. Everybody's going to hit you in the mouth. That's the entire approach. The entire approach is built on winning 9-3. to three. Uh, and that can bring down some of the stronger teams. Now, I think, to your point, that can allow other teams, some of the lesser teams who don't have, who are at a disadvantage technically, uh, to remain in the game because it doesn't take away from their capability to play on those same physical terms. And so, if you're a San Francisco team that doesn't have the technical capability, which is why people thought they were going to be one of the worst teams, and may still be this season. Uh, we'll have to see now that they've switched to Colin Kaepernick as a starting quarterback. They don't have the technical capability. But if you want to play physical football, that's all they've got. And, and so these guys know, look, we're not going to beat you with speed and uh, route running and finesse and those kind of things on offense. The only thing we can do is punch you in the mouth. And so when you get an opportunity to run the ball for the 49ers against the Rams, they've got to take advantage of it. Same thing with the Bills last weekend. You know that's the only way you're going to win because – Technique isn't going to matter. You, you you can't apply technique to beat the Rams. You have to play them physically. And if you're willing to do that and willing to commit to it over 60 minutes, no surprise that Rex Ryan-led team is willing to do that. You can, you can beat the Rams even if you're one of the lesser talented teams. And I think that may be the welcome to Rams football moment that you need where you can say, look, we can take down anybody, but anybody can, can run with us as well. Absolutely. Now. 
Last week, I made you a promise that I was going to start looking into some college guys and that we were going to have a discussion. However, due to... Uh, no. Due to <laughs> a... Due to a certain proposal, uh, that didn't happen. But, 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 but next week is going to be a college draft special. We're going to do on my Thursday podcast. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to move it to the bye week. I'm going to move it to the bye week. And you and I, because that's only, that's only going to be one week after uh, this weekend's game. Uh, you and I are going to have a college draft talk special. It'll be a perfect time in the middle of the season to assess what the Rams have working for them, what the Rams need, and what maybe is out there that they could go and get with their limited resources uh, available in, in, in terms of the draft. Uh, and we'll take some questions from you guys about possible trade scenarios, possible ways for the Rams to move back into the first or maybe higher up into the second. Um, so I want to give our audience members about two you know, around two weeks to start thinking about this stuff. Because you and I are are going to do what what you love to do. I'm going to give you what you want, Joe. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to feed I'm going to feed your inner draft thirst. Um, and we are going to cover so many young, talented players coming up through the college ranks. That it'll bring a tear to your eye in the name of football. Um, It's a a good time to do it, too, because this week's schedule isn't great. So we're leading in. There's a great there's a great uh, ebb and flow that's going to come where you've got this down week coming. And then college football is going to pick up strong heading into late October. So the time is right. But you mentioned listener questions. Did we have any listener questions for this? Oh, we do. So we are going to do, given the fact that we have been at this for an hour And we have one less question than we did last week. Uh, We are going to go through these efficiently. Not maybe rapid fire, but efficiently. Um, So, the first question coming at you from Mr. Manu Harari would would like to know... Is giving Jess Schwartz a shot that bad of an idea? Dude can outplay any player on our line. Uh, I mean, it's not a bad idea, but it's not going to make a difference. I mean, you, you got to remember, this is a team that started uh, Cody Wickman and started Tim Barnes and started Greg Robinson at left tackle. Um, yeah, I would say this. If if the Rams want to bring him in as a depth guy and somebody that can offer some veteran leadership in the wake of Garrett Reynolds, yeah, I mean, that's uh, – it's not the worst thing, but, you know, this is, there's nothing you can do in October. Just like uh, I saw somebody when we signed Dwayne Grass today that said, what do you guys think about this? I haven't heard great things. Yeah, that's why he's available. You can't. There's nobody you can bring in in October that's going to save your team, that's going to save your offense. <laughs> That's not, like, that's not the way this works. There's a world-class player just chilling there yeah. completely Wait. unsigned in October, man. Like, it always happens, right? 
But Matt, here's the thing. Manu is a very smart Rams fan. He knows this, uh, that the idea of these specialized fits are very hard to get. I mean, look at Troy Hill It's in Cody Sensabaugh, that dynamic there. It's very hard to get a sense of who's really mm-hmm. going to work out and work, especially when you talk about the offensive line. So much of what goes into offensive line play is not just what you do, but what you do in concert with the guys next to you. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about the guard position, you know, if Jeff Schwartz is going to come in. Whatever it is. Yep. Yeah, and working as a unit, you've got to work together as a unit. And so it's really hard to get a sense of that chemistry when he hasn't taken any reps with these guys. So how is he going to work any center guard exchanges with Tim Barnes? Who knows? We, you know, It's one of those things we'd have no idea until we really see it. The next question came to us from his airness. I know not why Michael Jordan is inquiring about the Rams, but I'm going to answer your question anyway, his airness. Do you know the Rams record versus 500 teams and above without Quinn? The answer to that is, in 2015, Quinn missed eight games. Uh, He was considered injured after the seventh game versus the 49ers. He played versus the Bears, but was clearly not 100%. The Rams went on to lose five in a row, including uh, the Vikings at the time, five and two, the Bears at the time, three and five. The Ravens two and seven, the Bengals eight and two, the Cards nine and two, and then won three in a row, beating the Lions four and eight, the Bucks at six and seven, and then the Seahawks at nine and five. Then they lost to the 49ers, who finished out four and eleven. This year, Quinn has missed just one game so far, and the Rams lost to the Bills. Uh the record against teams 500 and above uh, without Quinn. Quinn is one in four since 2015. Yeah, and, and I don't know. It's, Props it's hard. to Brent Lancaster for being a statty. Lanny OSU, Twitter, Land- Twitter man and statistician. Um, here, here's what I'd say in response to his airness. It, it's hard to pin you know, records down without any, uh, on one player outside of maybe quarterback. And even then the idea of QB wins and losses, unless it's somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. And even, I mean, look at the Patriots without Tom Brady. Um, so, so the idea that, that the Rams record without Robert Quinn somehow means that Robert Quinn is the linchpin. And it's not to say that Robert Quinn's not a phenomenal player, but would the Rams have done better with him? I don't know. It, it, you'd rather have him than not. But the idea that the record without him obviously isn't that great. I, I don't know how much I'd read into that. Fair it's a great question. It's a, it's a great approach. I love the idea of looking at the fact that they haven't done well without him. But if we're being honest, look, the Rams drafted uh, Robert Quinn a long time ago and haven't put a single winning season together since they drafted him. So I don't know that they've so, done a great yeah, job the with stats, him. The stats were never going to be too much, too terribly much in history yeah. around that one. <laughs> uh, Alex J. MacArthur wants to know, next article should be on Fisher. How many losses before he gets clipped? Four out of the next five? Five out of the next six? Alex, we have answered this time and time and time and time and time again. He ain't going anywhere. Yeah, I don't think he is. I don't. Here, here's the only question, Josh. Is is the imagine? So right now the Rams are three and two. If they go four and twelve, is that bad enough? Where they fire him? Maybe, maybe four and twelve is. 
No, because there are a know. lot of injuries this year that I think yeah. Jeff Fisher could legitimately point to and say, sure. we had things going on track when we got hit with the worst possible injuries. We lost both of our starting defensive ends and our freaking franchised cornerback. You know, like that's that's not exactly – he's – He's an Aaron Donald short of going back to him and saying, come on, guys, even I can't win with this. Yeah, no, no doubt. He's a uh, – I mean, it, we, we know the script. Um, should he I, be fired? Yes. Should's different, yeah. Well, should he Should he have been fired? He should have been fired before now, right? If you're a head coach in the NFL and you get the RG3 trade, and by year four the output on offense is the worst offense in the league, that's a fireable offense, period. Yes. That's, just, that's a fireable offense in and of itself. So should he be fired? He should have been fired. The fact that he wasn't tells you that the standard is not the normal applicable standard. So I, I'm afraid I got to I gotta agree with Josh. How many losses before he gets fired? I just – I don't know. I don't know that there is a number of losses that they can rack up in 2018. And remember, this isn't going to be a t- – I, I mentioned 4-12. and 12. I don't think they're going 4-12. and 12. I, I think they'll win at least six games. Um, I think the problem is I think they'll probably win six or seven games uh, like they have under Jeff Fisher every single year. And is that enough to get him fired? It wasn't to this point. So I don't – I just don't know why it would now because like you said – you, we know the script, and we know what he can say, and, and the idea that 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 the longevity and the conti- the continuity is going to build into some potential over the horizon is something that the Rams could certainly try to sell because they have in recent years too. Now, Wolf at fifty, which Wolf at fifty. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to take that. Yeah, there's there's so many different things that we could infer from that that we're not going to on air. Uh, But what Wolf what Wolf did say was that the fake punt sealed it for him. My grand, and I'm going to assume he meant grandson, granddaughter, uh, saw that play coming. Why was Fisher still running the ball with five minutes left? The answer to the question, Wolf, is in the question. Jeff Fisher is the reason they were running the ball with five minutes left. That is the answer. It's a, well, it's like I said at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, you, you've got... The, there is no different philosophy. Nope. You, you get, you, you've got to keep doing it. And if it's not working or if you need something else, that's the only thing that's left in the cupboard. You, you don't have a full spice rack. You got one giant jar of cumin. And if you need something else, you better make cumin work. And that, that's the way it is. That's the, you know, you, you can get annoyed by it and you can get uh, frustrated by its simplicity and its repetitiveness, but look, sometimes it works. And, and like he said in the transcript, in the in the interview afterwards, it's taken them a long way, and he believes that. I, I, I don't I don't think I don't think he's being insincere. I think he really believes that that his brand of football. To be fair, it has. How long has Jeff Fisher been a head coach in the NFL? Right. We we can say as fans, look, you're. Way but seven long. losses, 
Well, and that that's a fan perspective, and I might agree with you, but he can say, look, I'm in my 22nd year. Well, I don't year. mean he should retire. I mean, just holding down the one, you know, one, one, one type of job in one organization for as long <laughs> as he has. Like, he's a lifer, man, like way too long. And I don't mean that, like, positively or negatively. I just, he spent a lot of time on the job. Yeah, and and what's kept him in that job has been his approach. And so, you know, as frustrating as it can be when it doesn't work, sometimes you just have to swallow that and you just have to take that and say, you know, it didn't work this time. Here's hoping that they put themselves in position for it to work the next time. And we've seen it. I mean, if you go back to games against the Seahawks and uh, certainly other teams, but the, the Seahawks games have been the more memorable ones where you've had the special teams fake plays that have worked. You know, it's uh, it's the kind of thing that you you use what adjectives brilliant or perfectly timed that kind of stuff. When when it works, it's great, and it's it's you know when when it doesn't work, there are all sorts of different adjectives that are used. <laughs> Most of them start with you know uh, four right letter up. words and certain words. Um. So, it is what it is. It is what it is. For Woof at 50, you just got to accept that this is the brand of football that the Rams are going to play under Jeff Fisher. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, well, that's uh, that's kind of the bullet. You got to bite. Indeed. Now, JVAS23 wants to know, do you think since those gaps haven't really been there, he, Gurley, has lost faith that they are going to be there? Now, Arlani chimed in and said... That Gurley appears to have lost his patience and ability to find cutbacks, and who can blame him with what the offensive line has done so far? But he needs to find a way to prove once again that he's a once-in-a-generational talent, or the questions will remain. I'm not really going to disagree with anything that Lanny wrote. Uh, We mentioned the piece that Classy did uh, the film room study showing the impatience of Gurley. It's there. There's film of it. You can go and check it out. Um, Gurley's just having a sophomore slump is what it is. The NFL defenses have adjusted to him, and he's just going to have to put in the grind to figure out a new way to beat them. And once he figures out a new way to beat him, they're going to adjust to that. And he's going to have to figure out a third way to beat him. And so on and so on and so on. And if you want to have any kind of career in this league, you have to be able to vary it. So right now, it has been a very bad sophomore slump for Todd Gurley. And if you're a Rams fan, you're looking at this and saying, the signs are not encouraging from what I've seen thus far. However, if you're a, a man about football, then you understand that these sorts of things happen rather frequently in the game all the time. Guys come in, they have bad years, then they readjust, they hire a new somebody in the offseason, then they come back with their A game. It happens all the time, and I think Gurley is the type of guy who's dedicated enough to do it. I truly do. It's just not getting done right now, and I'm sure it's just as frustrating for him as it is for everybody to watch. And it sounds like it if you if you listen to him on some mm-hmm. of his post game interviews, he sounds incredibly frustrated. Uh, here's what I'd say is that 
this is part of why you have to be dedicated to avoiding these situations when you've got talented players because of the avalanche effect. And you get kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't conundrum. If Todd Gurley, uh, and I know, Josh, you're relatively new to this, for some new fans, go back and check out Daryl Richardson. If you can find some of the Rams tape when he had taken over uh, starting running back duties, which is part of the problem that the Rams had uh, invested so much in the running back position only to cannibalize all that draft capital with Todd Gurley. Daryl Richardson did exactly what the play was designed to do. If the, if the play was designed to hit the C gap, he went at the C gap, whether there was a hole or not, he was heading straight for it full speed. And it, it, it made a lot of sense for fishable because they, they need guys to run that play. The problem for Todd Gurley is Todd Gurley's too talented. You can't say go into that gap, and if it's a two-yard gain, take two yards because nobody accepts two-yard gains for Todd Gurley, right? You've got to get more out of him in some way. And so eventually, if he's gotten enough two-yard gains and you keep saying run at the C gap, run at the B gap, do this, do this, do that, and all he's doing is two-yard gains, at some point he's saying, it, it, like we're saying, it's on him. He, he's that once-in-a-generational talent, and remember these are not my words. Uh, these are other people's words and certainly Jeff Fisher's words. He's got to take it on himself to find space, to create space. And so at some point it's in his head where he looks at the C gap and he says, okay, I don't think it's developing. I got to look elsewhere. And, and like Lanny said, is that he can't trust that. And even, even if it develops, he's lost that trust in his line and the patience to let it develop. Uh, and, and so it, you know, part of it's on girly, part of it's on the line, part of it's on the scheme and the lack of passing to take the box out. Uh, but, but, this is why, as a coaching Martin, staff, Obama's fault. hey, come on, damn it, Obama! Why? Why couldn't you? Why couldn't you do more to prevent this? But, but this this is why, as a coaching staff, you have to prevent this from happening, right? Because it, because at this point, five games in, does, I don't know why anybody sees a way out of this. And you go back now; you're talking about pretty much like a what? A, 10 game, 11 game cycle from last year to this year after his first four games where he set that rookie record first four games, everything after that until now, that is a much larger sample size to take away to suggest that what you're going to get out of Todd Gurley is about 70 yards and a touchdown or so. That's not at once in a generational talent output. That's not what Adrian Peterson was doing in those kind of comparisons. That's not the marketing effort that went on. Went those on are market. Boston, to be honest, those are Mark Ingram numbers, you know. Like, <laughs> and that's the, th that's the thing. Think about that. For a fishable offense to have a once in a generation talent running back, if that's what you're getting out of them that's as big a failure as anything under jeff fisher yeah and so that that's we're calling girl the ones of the generation talent i don't ever sure there is hey, i mean zero about todd Gurley to suggest well, to me that he was once in a generational talent I, I there, there is now. I, I would say this. You go, you go back, and I was one of the few people who did not like the draft pick. Not because I didn't like Todd Gurley, and I took a ton, and I can't. Well, I love Todd Gurley, but once in a generational talent, I, I take umbrage with that. It certainly set the bar high. I would say this. There was not necessarily unanimity, but there, there was a large majority who thought Todd Gurley was a special running back. And I think the fact that that bar was set – makes it very hard for Todd Gurley to meet expectations, which isn't the biggest deal, but but 
you've got to deal with it within the concept of the 2016 and the modern NFL media landscape where expectations can mean as much as anything. So here's, here's what I'd say moving forward is not necessarily does it matter if Todd Gurley hits production? What does he mean to the offensive line? What does he mean to this? The Rams <laughs> kind of went into this idea before Jared Goff of Todd Gurley being the man. And if he's, if he's not the man, what, what is he? What, how valuable is he to this team? Remember last year, Todd Gurley was, you know, supposedly everything. And, and before Todd Gurley, you had all these other pieces. Tavon Austin was the man and Trey Mason was a competent piece. And, and this guy was, you had all these other pieces that were competent pieces. When Todd Gurley came in, he became the man. If he's not anymore and, and Jared Goff still on the sideline, I don't know what this team is moving forward. I don't think anybody does. Uh, yeah. But sure. moving on, and we'll hit on this one real briefly because I don't necessarily know how much genuine thought we can put into Ooh, this. As I, joke well, I love our question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the Glow wants to know what are the chances of James Brown's uh, – what are Jamon Brown's chances, <laughs> excuse me, of a post-NFL career as a matador? As a matador? Olay. Well Olay! Yeah, Here's matador, what I'd say. matador blocks are this one of the single greatest thing you can Google on your spare time. Um, say, um, let, let's watch. Let, let, let's wait and see. Remember Jamon Brown? Before his injury last year, a lot of people thought was one of the best uh, draft picks in the class, you know, especially for value. And, and think about it this way. That was a third round pick. The way people are talking about Farrell Cooper as a fourth round pick, Tyler Higby as a fourth round pick, Nelson Spruce as an undrafted free agent going into the season. You know, when you put that in perspective with Jamon Brown as a third round pick who had a pretty successful first half of the season last year. I got I like the joke. I love a good I love a good joke. Hit me with a good joke. So I, I appreciate Got the Glow hitting us up. But, uh, you know, it's it, one week is not necessarily uh, sufficient material to build out that stand-up bit quite yet for somebody like Jamon Brown. I'd like to give him a little bit more time within the context of the offense and get him some regularity, get him some chemistry to work with these guys. And who knows, maybe maybe in two weeks Got the Glow can come back and say, no, he's not a matador. He's a, he's a, a brick wall. Moving on to a certain Mr. Case Keenan, and I love that there's a tweet in here that has Patriots steal allegedly and has nothing to do with anything that you'd think. Um, If Keenan doesn't have the time or can't allegedly throw a deep ball, why not steal the Patriots dink and dunk to tight end uh, game plan? Uh, a note from Lanny on here, he said, uh, this assumes that Higby uh, takes a featured role in this offense, a challenge he may or may not yet be able to undertake. However, Higby has the talent to win in the short and intermediate levels and is yes. a mismatch <laughs> for NFL linebackers. Um, yeah, well, I, I appreciate Lanny's optimism. Here's what I'd say, man. For all the hype that Tyler Higby's gotten, what has he done? What has he done this season? Yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt in training camp he looked fine. You're talking about a guy who's got six targets for five games, and he's yeah. But now we're talking about practice. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, I here's the difference. The re, the reason why the Rams don't run the dink and dunk two tight end game plan. Number one, we don't have a Rob Gronkowski, and number two, because Case Keenum doesn't run the offense as efficiently as somebody like Tom Brady does, and the the efficiency has to come from coaching. You got to be coached up to run efficient offenses. Well, hey, that's why the Patriots have Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett coming in and operating offenses and winning games, right? It comes from the top, man. Uh, what should the largest priority in the offseason and draft be? Chris Grimm. By the way, that last question was from L.A. Rams Fan Zone. Chris Grimm wants to know. Appreciate it, man. We love you. Uh, uh, Chris Grimm, 1981, wants to know, what should be the largest priority in the offseason and draft? Uh, and Lanny said, left tackle. And unless they lock up no. true this year, cornerback. <laughs> no, Lanny. Don't, Lanny's given up on his Greg Robinson. Yeah, he's given up on Greg Robinson. <laughs> he's scorned. He's been scorned. He's not wrong. Um. Here's what I'd say. The, Ram- the Rams are quickly developing a lot of holes. Remember, part of part of what set the Rams up was the RG3 trade, right? And that allowed them to draft all over the place and fill the roster with young talent. But they're at the point now where they're losing it. They lost Janoris Jenkins. They lost Rodney McLeod. They cut Jared Cook and Chris Long and James Laurinaitis. So they're losing talent faster than they're bringing it in. And, and so when you make that trade-up for Jared Goff, You've lost the opportunity to fill in those cracks. Now, I get what Lanny's saying is that left tackle is a position of so much importance that on the value alone, you can argue that. I don't know, man. I think there are going to be six or seven positions competing for one another, you know, for attention going into the offseason. Uh, I think there will be certainly be an argument for left tackle. I, th- I think there's also an argument to be made that if Greg Robinson can hold out uh, some flashes of play, he's got another year left on the contract. Now, what I said in one of the college preview posts, uh, looking at uh, Orlando Brown on Oklahoma, was the idea that you could draft him this draft and kind of groom him almost Jared Goff style for a year, you know, heading into 2018 with Greg Robinson continuing to hold down uh, the left tackle spot in 2017 unless he gets injured or anything, and then bring up whoever you take. But that means, I mean, think about the opportunity cost. If you take a left tackle with the second round, that's every other position that you can't deal with until round three. And I just think there's going to be so many other positions when we get to the draft and to the offseason that we're looking at and saying, yeah, this needs help too. What would yeah, you say? I would, add, I would add that, 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 that for me – I, I think you a got to get through the season. B see how some negotiations go. C find out how many of these players are healthy. D uh, honestly assess where you're at with 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 guys like Gurley and Robinson. Does Gurley need help? Does he need a different style back? Benny Cunningham was working, but if he's not available, then what do you do? There are a ton of different things that the Rams need to work on. And every person you ask is going to give you a different answer. But I think that there is a consensus agreement uh, among a lot of people that there is need for cornerback, tremendous need in the secondary, and a tremendous need for a physically skilled wide receiver player. 
Good Lord, yes. Especially if we don't get somebody. Here's what I would say. Go back and look, and anybody can do this. We've got the archives on Tertial Times available to anybody. Go back and look at the way we covered the pre-draft coverage before the trade. And you'll see all the – not many people were talking about quarterback, right? I mean, there were some, and, you know, there was the idea of drafting either somebody late first or later in the draft, uh, which certainly, looking at the way some of these guys, you know, that Dak Prescott, you kind of wonder what could have happened. Uh, but as much as people were talking about quarterback, you had all kinds of other positions that had a hell of a lot of love uh, for early on in the Rams draft class for 2016. That clearly didn't materialize, but – uh, the idea that I think there's going to be one position that rules out over all the others, I think, is uh, uh, a, a little bit ignorant of all the needs that they have down roster, which has been the case. This isn't anything new either. So I think that's another, welcome the, to the, the NFL, that's another welcome to the Rams moment. The the NFL has shifted to a need-based draft, not a best player on the board, um, I think, across the league. All right. Uh, due to time constraints here, we are taking these last five questions and moving them into lightning, lightning round. round. Okay, so uh, uh, I have no idea. LVTH or IVTH World uh, wants to know, I wonder why the Rams don't mix up the running backs. Hashtag little here, little there. <laughs> Yeah, if, if anything is not going to help Todd Gurley, it's putting him into a running back by committee timeshare. You th- you think he's pissed off now? Put him put him in a timeshare. Put him in a timeshare and see how happy he is. They drafted a running back tenth overall in two thousand fifteen in two thousand sixteen or two thousand fifteen. You got You got to let him be the bell cow. Otherwise, there's no point in drafting. Absolutely. Um, man, people keep asking us to it. You know, why don't some of you like just tweet us and ask us if we can disprove everything Einstein ever wrote? Uh, can y'all explain how we started, spread, moved the ball consistently, got points and then abandoned it entirely? That's from King Jalen with the hashtag of Fisher Ball. Sure. Part of it is because what failed, right? We started with the spread, and then because they started clamping down specifically on the strong side, you had to isolate what you had available. Um, Again, the Rams don't do a lot of adjustments. What they do is isolation, especially when they get down. They isolate what's working, and they try to go to it. And Maybe that's why Case Keenum threw the pick six, is that he was so locked in because he knew that there was nothing else he could really trust at that point. And this next tweet comes from RD Vez one. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to siphon uh, through this, but uh, running game coordinator was promoted to OC and running game and total offense is worst in the NFL. Boris, the next Rams and uh, HC. It's certainly possible. It is certainly possible. You know, well, here's something what I think is feel. Okay that he's got to keep it in-house after everything and keep the continuity of what the what the team had built upon. I don't... I, don't, <laughs> I just have to laugh. Here's what I'd say. Go back, go back a year ago. Remember that Rob Boris didn't win the offensive coordinator job. He got beat out by Frank Signetti. And Frank Signetti was so bad, he got fired mid-season. So if Rob Boris couldn't beat him out as offensive coordinator... That tells you how good of a coordinator. Same thing with Case Keenum. 
The Rams traded for Case Keenum before the 2015 season, and he wasn't the starter behind Nick Foles. Mm -hmm. Nick Foles was so bad that he got benched midseason. If those guys were better than the guys you have now, what does it tell you about the guys now? And I'm not I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, negative or too hard on them, but the, the Fisher picked those guys. Fisher picked Frank Signetti as his offensive coordinator. Fisher picked, you know, Nick Foles as his starting quarterback. There's a reason why Case Keenum is limited as a passer, and the fact that's manifested. It was manifested on the depth chart. The fact that Frank Signetti beat out Rob Boris. Rob Boris for the next head coach, I, I mean, at some point we have to break this cycle. That's not going to do it, but if people want to you know, play roulette for another couple of years, I'm not going to stop them. Now, uh, Artie Vez1 hit us with another one. I uh, wanted to know, was Cody Sensabaugh the worst $5 million spent by a current Rams regime? What did he get? 200 k per snap? Our lovely Lanny uh, did the accounting for us here. Cody had 104 oh, snaps. He will earn $4.5 million. Uh, yeah, Cody had 104 snaps, and he will earn $4.5 mil this year and $1 mil next year. So that's 5.5 divided by 104, which equals 528, actually, uh, excuse me, $52,884 per step. So not nearly, not quite the 200K, uh, a modest $50,000 per snap. So, well, here's you know, what all in a rough day's work, I suppose. Sure. Here's what, here's what we all know. Cody Sensabaugh wasn't a great signing. Jared Cook wasn't a great signing. Jake Long wasn't a great signing. There's been plenty of not great signings. But here's the here's the lesson. The lesson isn't Cody Sensabaugh is bad. The lesson everybody needs to take, and we have to deal with this every year, and it's incredibly frustrating. Free agency doesn't fix your team. Period. You fix your team through the draft. You've got to draft well. If you're if you're into free agency to fix your team, it's too late. Okay, uh, that's the key. The, the, the reason the Rams were capable at cornerback was because they had Trumaine Johnson, E.J. Gaines, and LaMarcus Joyner, all guys that they brought through the draft. That period. You, 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 you can get stopgap guys. Maybe every once in a while there's a superstar out there on free agency. But you can't fix your team whole scale through, the draft, through free agency. So when we get to free agency, I need your help, Josh, Lanny, Bate, Nagel. Eli, Eddie, and God damn it, everybody. Quit coming to Tertial Times and saying, why don't we sign this guy? It, it matters one, one tenth of a percent compared to doing well in the draft, period. And, and I would also add that with Cody, I don't actually think the signing at the time was awful. Jeff Fisher, Cody Sensabaugh was a veteran presence who was supposed to be good at shutting down the perimeter. That's where he made his money, and it didn't work out. It was a, it was a sense of uh, – pardon the joke. It, Sensabaugh was a sensible signing. Hey it just didn't work out. That's, that's, that's all hey, I can really say about it. Here's a, here's a better value statement to think. Would you rather have Cody Sensabaugh only play 100 snaps or play another 400 over the rest of this season? Mm. They moved on. They made a mistake. So be it. That's free agency, man. But the, the, the problem is people putting too much weight into free agency as a, as a legitimate avenue to improve Agreed. team. There's a reason you get seven rounds worth of picks. Good. Um, Draft. All right. 
Uh, the final question comes from Lump86. That sounds very ominous. The, the final question. Well, it, it literally does sound like the final question because he wants oh, to God. know when will it all end? <laughs> hey, that's a great question. Who was it that just asked if Rob Boris is going to be the next head coach? If, that's if so, the day that it ends. <laughs> Mark that day is the day um, that it ends. Who asked this question? Who Who's this from? Uh, this is from Lump86. Lump 86. All right, Lump. Uh, oh, Lumpy. Here's what I'd say, man. Um, I don't know. I did. Here's the thing. We've been dealing with the re- – Show Times is the only SB Nation NFL site not to cover a winning team yet. We're the only one. Every other SB Nation NFL community has covered a winning team. When will it end? Homie, I don't know, man. I don't know. Here, here's the thing, and you mentioned it, Josh, at the beginning. People still accuse me of being negative for a team that hasn't won. Like, how, is, how are those two things possible? How is it possible to be negative about a team that's never won since the site has existed? I don't know. It's it, there's there's a weird uh, there's a weird dichotomy between what the Rams are providing on the field and the way people feel about it so often. And I don't know how to square that. So the question of when will it end and when will they finally match a product to what we really want to see all of us as Rams fans? I don't know. I feel, I feel like we're close, but if I'm being honest, Josh, I don't have any faith in the current structure to make it happen. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with you. Now, Lump's profile here says that he will talk science, sports, gaming, beer, and coffee. And he's from the Western Spiral Arm uh, region of the Milky Way galaxy. So, hey, me too. I, I would say to Lump, stop by. That, yeah, stop on by. We can sit down and talk about when it'll all end over a few thousand years. And basically, by the time we're done drinking lump, it will have either ended or we will be too hammered to know and we'll think that something good happened. What 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 do we call rotations of the galaxy? Whatever the orbit of the galaxy is, that's when it will end. It will take one galactic orbit cycle. Mm. I'm sure we got I'm sure we got some good astronomy nerds out there who can fix that for me. Whatever the the applicable yeah. terms were there, yeah. it's gonna take a while. Here's the thing, and I, if I'm being dead serious, and this is a good place to end it, Josh, I, I've said for a couple of years the roster isn't the problem for this team. The, the nope. roster's talented enough to win. And the, the fact that we're beating teams like Seattle and Arizona tells you the roster's good enough Negative. to end. It, it's, the, it's the application. It's the system, and it's the details. And that's, again, that's why I don't have the the confidence that, that we're going to get it done now. And if Fisher gets extended, I mean, it's not, it's not my fault that Jeff Fisher hasn't been a winning coach over his history in the NFL. But that doesn't mean – that they can't find a way to win with Jeff Fisher the, the way the previous Jeff Fisher t- teams have. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. But if we're asking when will it end, it's not going to end now. It's probably not going to end soon. <laughs> but it's going to end one day. you gotta, you got to have faith. We're going to make it happen, man. Yeah, it'll, it'll end one day. That day, 
I guess if you if you wanted to go all biblical on it, only he knows the hour and the time, um, or whatever the quote is. Uh, look, it, it really, it really, it really comes down to whenever Kronky feels that Fisher has served his purpose. That's he's part of it. Lend. Um, when, I, when, when it ends is when Stan Kronky has had enough, right? Yeah. Yep. And unlike the Arsenal board of directors, there's nobody that's going to vote to 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 uh, stop payment to Stan Kroenke's sports consult. What what exactly he offers them advice on? I don't know. Probably how to be obscenely rich. But well, I don't that, understand that's, how Arsenal would need yeah. advice from him on that subject. Here's what I'd say. This is a great. This is a great topic that I hope the Los Angeles media really bores in on in this next offseason, whether or not Jeff Fisher is the head coach uh, beyond the 2016 season. What does Stan Kroenke want out of the football product? We know what he wants from the franchise. We know what he wants out of the business. What does he actually, you know, as, as a legitimate demand, what is he demanding out of the football product moving forward? I don't think I have any answer to that, despite the fact I've come since he bought the team. That's a really good point, man, and a perfect place to end it because we have no answers and we can talk about it for another two hours. So, Joe, we know that college and draft talk has been rescheduled for the bye week. Uh, What upcoming stuff do we have on the site? Uh, By the way, Dan Brennan, if you listen to the podcast, I left you a message. Get in touch with me today. Or get in touch with me when you hear this. I need to talk to you about the whole Santa Barbara thing. I've been trying to reach you. I, I know you reached out to me a couple times in email. My bad. This has been a very, very busy, busy week. But that yeah, doesn't I, mean... I do like the personal shout-outs on the podcast. I'm going to start doing some of those. Yeah. Some personal, hey, Mama, if you're listening to the podcast, I wasn't ignoring your call. I was just busy. I'm gonna get back to you. Uh, hold. I left some jeans <laughs> at your place. Exactly. Don't throw them away. <laughs> um, what's coming on the site? Big stuff. Uh, some uncomfortable conversations. I think we need to have this week. First and foremost, Todd Gurley. I'm gonna try to get a post either tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, kind of what we were talking about in the podcast. But I want I want to have that discussion as a community to ask what what does it mean if you know Todd. There's either two things. Number one. Either Todd Gurley is a special running back, and we're, in essence, wasting him, or he's not. And either way, it's not a great outcome. And I think the question is, how much value do you have in a system where you've got a special running back that's being wasted, or you've invested in a running back that's supposed to be special that isn't, right? And I think we need to have that com- that conversation as fans only because we what we were sold – think about what we were sold with Todd Gurley going into this season, Josh. What we were sold was somebody who was supposed to lead the league in rushing, who was supposed to be yeah. a superstar, who was supposed to be the second coming of Adrian Peterson. I'm not saying he's not incredibly talented, but either he is and we're not making the most out of him. Or he's not, and we need to quit playing as if he is. So I think that's going to be something we can discuss on the side. A couple other things to unpack. Another one on special teams. Special teams isn't going to be perfect all season. Uh, there's, a, there's a good argument to be made 
that the only reason the Rams started off three and one, or at least, you know, two out of those three wins was because they didn't have a concern with special teams. And if anything, they had the benefit of special teams, especially if you go back to the Arizona game with the Tavon Austin return that set up the final touchdown. I think we need to talk about the idea of moving forward. Why, why are we requiring perfection from our special teams to be uh, a successful team when we don't co- come close to asking that of any other unit? Uh, and then we got some good stuff uh, preview, stuff for the week. Everybody knows the preview series that we got across the staff. Uh, we do have a pretty cool event with uh, Derek Klassen and Eddie Perez. Again, for all the people who listen to this and, and like to act as if Tertio Times is a St. Louis-based blog, quit just just – just uh, why why y'all making me deal with this, man? I got so much other stuff we could be dealing with. Eddie, be, hey, look, you people, we could be having fun together right now. We just want you to know that. We could be having fun. So stop our halting manifest destiny. <laughs> jump on board the fun train. Come on, climb aboard the Crystal Express with Joe and I, and we we will get down, dude. We will get down. Where did... What state do you live in? California. What state does Derek live in? California. Where does where does Eddie live? This isn't hard, man. The, anyway, so anyway, I, it's not gonna end. I know it's a tiresome thing, and people are gonna throw it out. Anytime we criticize the Rams, it's an easy way for them to deflect it and not have to deal with it. It is yeah. what it is. What I was saying was, Derek and Eddie got a cool event. They're gonna uh, meet up with Marshall Falk. Get some cool stuff. That'll be on the site eventually. And then Eddie's going to have some kind of exclusive content with uh, NFL Network and NFL Game Day. I'm not exactly sure what the details are. Uh, They're supposed to say, actually, I've got an email from Eddie. I haven't actually looked at. Uh, But it'll be some cool stuff for Tertial Times. And that's part of what's going to be fun covering the NFL in Los Angeles, especially with the the campus that Kroenke's building over in Inglewood is the opportunity not just to investigate what it means to be a Rams fan, but what it means to be an NFL fan and kind of the the satellite campus that they're building uh, in Los Angeles. Yep. And with that... I uh, will use this occasion to wrap up the show. Uh, once again, you can follow us on Twitter at Turf Show Times. Uh, if you're not already, uh, well, I, you know, frankly, I assume everyone who's listening is, but if you're not, you definitely should. The content's there. The, it, it, it's not some hack blog. There's genuine thought and genuine, genuine I, passion I, behind I each and every one of these articles that are written on this site and it's one of the hardest the working group basements. Yeah. It's one of the hardest working group of people I've ever been around and more so than just working hard for themselves. They work hard for the community, for the GST community. And it's something that I'm proud uh, and lucky to be a part of. Uh, so please, if you're not following us, do give us a follow, give us a chance to impress you. Uh, I was staunchly opposed to SB Nation, and I've not been shy about that on Twitter in the past. And here I am hosting a podcast on SB Nation, flat saying I had it wrong. So um, if you're like me, give SB Nation a chance to convince you. Uh, Secondly, you can follow, if you like what you heard tonight, my boy 3K Joe McAtee on Twitter at 3K underscore. It is just that simple. At the number three, the letter K, and an underscore. 
three characters. Follow Tertial Times, man. Follow us on the site. That's where we get all the good stuff. Yep, yep, yep. And if you want to continue any conversation with me, you can find me on Fight on Twist, and that's where I won't be. So, uh, best way to get a hold of me is through my email, uh, twistfightson at gmail.com. And we will be back on Thursday taking a closer, more in-depth look at our Detroit blog. Joe, are you going to reach out to Mr. Uh, uh, Detroit? I don't know what the SB, SB Nation Detroit side is. Uh, Pride of Detroit, I already have. Yeah, the good people at Pride of Detroit, they recently had a, a turnover in leadership. They've had a uh, one longtime editor. We're reaching kind of yeah. the end of the first generation of all the NFL blogs. Ryan I Van Biver obviously founded Tertial Times. Yeah, he moved on from Tertial Times about two and a half years ago. And uh, we just had Sean Yoyle, uh move on from Pride of Detroit. You're seeing a lot of this, just like Danny Kelly at Field Goals, longtime friend. He went on to the ringer. Uh, Seth Root from Revenge of the Birds, our Arizona Cardinals blog, moved on. So you're seeing a lot of these, uh, the first generation of SB Nation bloggers moving on to their second opportunities. And so uh, I'm eager to see what the Pride of Detroit community is like now that Sean's moved on since I've known him for God, almost a decade now uh, is to get a sense of what we're getting from him. But yeah, we're going to hear from them for sure. All right. And on that note, we will take our opportunity to catch a leave and we will catch you next time here on Turf Show Times Radio. Only on when is it going to end? My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.